Dogs of Warcry is a podcast from the Mortal Realms focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. Join us for discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain building, campaigns, and events. Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. In Episode 7, we're going to discuss Tome of Champions 2020, the new and updated rules, triumph and treachery, pit fighting, narrative play, trial of champions, updates, the new faded quests and challenge battles, including wild fighters, the new lesser artifact tables based on Grand Alliance, and we'll touch on the match play content. We've got a lot of good things in store for you this time. I'm Josh, and joining me this week is Paven. How are you, man? Happy New Year! Happy New Year, indeed! Welcome to the 8 Points! Uh, it's great, great to be here. We are on uh, the third uh, calendar year of Dogs of Warcry, although, uh, you know, we haven't been doing it for three years. <laughs> right, that, good point. That's a victory. <laughs> that is a victory, I agree. It's a great accomplishment, I think. See, three seasons, people are still listening, that's always a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Oh yeah, no, it's been a it's been a great uh, break, kind of reading this book, going through stuff, enjoying the holidays, ready to, to talk about some new and interesting rule sets, though for sure. Yeah, this is a great book. This is they've done a lot of good books. I think this is like one of the best. This is like I, this is definitely one of the best annuals that I've read coming out of Games Workshop. So I'm including. Uh, the General's Handbook. I'm including the 40k one, which escapes me. Uh, yeah. co- uh, chapter approved. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, chapter approved. Uh, whatever the other ones are. I guess I don't read all of them, but this is the best one I've read. Uh, I think it's got a bunch of really great rules updates. I thought it's a bunch of great rules, expansions on the lore, like new scenarios. All it's just it's all so good. And I guess we'll talk about it later. Exactly. That'd be great. Well, why don't we kick it off with the Forge of Pathraxis? What did you do, Paven, in the last since, last time since we talked? Um, I I think I've gotten a, a good amount of work done since we've last talked. This is it's been three week three weeks since we last recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully it'll only be two weeks. It will still be on cadence. I don't know, Josh. I don't want to make yep, any yep. promises uh, that this you're going to have to keep. It'll be up this Wednesday. This Wednesday? Oh, then we're going to be on pace. Great news. Yes. Um, so leave this all in. Leave this all in. So what have I done? I got. Ex- I think last time I talked about it, I got really excited about terrain, uh, as happens once every half, half a year, once every six months. And I was able to finish all my dungeon terrain. So I'm ready to play Catacombs uh, games on a full dungeon-painted board. I went with kind of a purple gray bronze bone uh scheme so very muted uh colors yeah i i I, my my philosophy for terrain is always that it should kind of blend into the background it should look good it should feel real but it shouldn't try to steal the show from the miniatures um so i i I kind of tied it into my science of the flame it doesn't have any of that flame to make it pop but it does have the purple and the and the bronze to tie it together with that war band so that's all up on my shelf i feel good that that is done i also assembled all the above ground terrain nice. and that's primed uh, i primed it today actually and now i am i've just started i think i finished one piece of scatter terrain just to knock out quick uh in between mm-hmm. other things and so that is on the way as well 
And that is a great, that was really fun to assemble. I'd never really worked with much of the original Warcry box set terrain. And that is, you know, it's just really great modular kit. Yeah. So it was great. Very happy with it. Um, I also finished two more initiates for my scions. So in my second nice. group, I've been working on those two initiates, slight, very slightly converted. So those guys are done. Uh, so I, my warband is up to 10. Uh, I also, uh, which a little out of character, I bought something, uh, before I had finished painting everything, but it was just a box of bits, unmarked box of bits. Uh, one of the local stores will just sell you just a random weight of bits. And awesome. so I wanted to see what that was like. So I bought $10 of bits. And uh, there's some cool stuff in there. I don't know if I'll just uh, continue to buy random bits because there's <laughs> certainly a lot of Space Marine stuff in there. And I don't collect uh, Space Marines. Uh, <laughs> but I was able to assemble a full dwarf quarreler. So a very out-of-print Warhammer Fantasy Battles miniature. Yeah. And I think this may be my very tentative start to my Living City Root King Warcry Warband. That'd be cool. Um, so he he's assembled and painted, or not painted, but primed and you know has some paint on it as I figure out a scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, other uh, next up, uh, I won't get too mu- too far in what I'm what my future plans are for the scions, but I really got to finish that orgroid. He really needs to be the next thing. And something cool that spawned out of the Mortal Realms Discord that I had no part in um, was a. Painting initiative slash, uh, Twitter, uh, campaign for everybody that's interested in, um, that wants to see more, like less battle based miniatures, like more kind of like regular dudes or like people in the, the, the wonderful setting that is the mortal realms. Like how does that all work outside of a, uh, fantasy battle game? This is called, uh, Josh, please jump in here if I, if I mess this up, but it's like mortal, it's hashtag mortal citizen. That's correct. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and for this January, the challenge is you paint up a diplomat. So that can uh, take that to whatever you want to mean. Um, just paint up a diplomat model. So it's not a general. It's not a wizard. It's not a warrior. It's not a monster. It's a, it's a diplomat. They have different, you know, different, different uh, moves, different uh, aesthetic. So I want to do that. I don't know how, um, but I'm interested in trying to do, do some models, small model. I think I'm going to tie it into the scion somehow. Like it's a religious kind of friendly guy that goes into your community and he's like, Hey, you know, I, you know, if you heard the good news about Archeon, uh, <laughs> right. uh, and you know, he's like kind of a d- diplomatic in that way. Uh, in a way he's like, you know, he's like the friendly face. The first guy that shows up is nice. Um, so maybe That'd I'll be cool. That. Yeah. No, I've heard about that initiative and I kind of looked at some of the top, the, the categories for each month and they'll be really interesting. So I, I, I kind of think I started thinking about, Oh, what could I do as a diplomat? And then I haven't gotten back to it. So I, I should do yeah. that. That would be really fun. Yeah. It's hard. I've, I've been struggling a bit. Like, uh, what, what visual cues do you have for a diplomat? Like a book? No, that's like a, you know, like what is it? A, a piece of parchment? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like you know, on, on the miniature, you have to exaggerate things. You have to use like symbols to show off what something is. Right. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. It certainly depends. Like, on all the I race. got, it, I got like piles of swords. But what is you know? I got to find somebody with a scroll and a you know a happy face. Right. Yeah. Like Sylvaneth. You know. Well, what would a Sylvaneth diplomat look like? Look, look like oh, a branch tree. Right. Maybe that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be interesting. Yeah. 
Well, that's awesome. Yeah, you got a lot done. That's that's great. And I, I did see some of the pictures of your terrain, and that uh, looks very nice, uh, especially with the scions. They go great together. Yeah, so, we, should, we should play on it one day. Yes. yes. <laughs> so much terrain to play on. We haven't had a chance. <laughs> uh, speaking of terrain, I've been working on some Warcry terrain as well. Not the catacombs. Uh, I wasn't working on painting, but uh, during the, uh, the various family get-togethers and things like that, uh, you know, playing games with the kids or, you know, we're all watching a movie or whatever. I couldn't really paint, but I did I did have a, uh, a second set of terrain from uh, the first starter box that I, I got off somebody uh, for a, an exchange for some miniatures and, and at a discounted price. And I also bought the Azerite Shattered Plaza with the intent of combining those two kits to make higher elevation and a greater city ruin terrain, to, you know, kind of like Mordheim-ish. So, so there's a lot of spruce. So so whatever I've gotten the chance, so, okay, I'm, there's a movie on, I'm not super keen in it, but I'll sit down, I'll clip these out, I'll file it out, put it together. So I spent a lot of time working on those and got some of the smaller pieces of the Azerite Shattered Plaza put together, like the fountain and, and mm-hmm. chests and things. I've been busy filing, a lot of filing. For all the various walls and, and, and things like that. But then I'll start, uh, when I get some time, start looking at combinations and how to put that together and elevate things a little bit. Got a, a good color scheme in mind that I, I saw from some people sharing their progress on the, the Warhammer um, Warcry Facebook page and other places. So I was like, all right, got a great color scheme. I'll probably paint up my uh, mausoleum terrain in a similar color scheme to even you know expand that city terrain options even more and the reason i kind of got excited in this again is i was like you know i really have this i should work on it and the soroth core campaign set in a ruined city this would be a perfect opportunity to get this together and start using some of this stuff so kind of inspired me to start working on getting that ready for the kit bashing aspect of it so be a lot of fun have you st- have you started to put the levels together I haven't, no. So I'm still okay. <laughs> still at that critical filing all the nubbins off. <laughs> yeah. I try to I try to use my Dremel tool, but it goes a little too fast and then you get, you know, divots. So I was like, okay, I gotta go back to the hand files. So so it's taking me a little longer. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that yeah, there's some parts on the with the uh, Warcry terrain where it's like you gotta like file it down or all the Azerite ruined terrain they, there's like you got to file it, but you don't want to file it too much because that like will texture what is supposed to be like a smooth, yeah, hard surface. And then, yeah, and then sometimes you got to. I did. I definitely did some gap filling as well on some of the joins, uh, especially on the corner join because there's like a really sharp line between them. I noticed. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm really happy to hear that you're 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 taking another swing or or another person taking a swing at like the multiple level Age of Sigmar train, um, because I've always been very jealous of like the 40k Necromunda boards where you have like you know six floors and you're like falling off and you're banging your head all the way down and it's like yeah. very intricate and dense. Yes. Um, and yeah. like there's a promise of that with the Azerite ruins terrain that I don't know has ever been fulfilled. So <laughs> I, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to see how you do and like how it goes. I don't know. Like I've seen some some uh, like attempts on the Internet to like make it like three stories, four stories. Yep. Um, and it doesn't maybe it doesn't always look quite right. But I don't know if that the attempt I'm specifically thinking of. Um, was I think might have been pre the Warcry train, which is like has been is like more intricate and kind of nicer than the original batch of Azerite Ruin train. Right. 
Right. Yeah, I have seen people go maybe three stories with like a fixed board, and it looked really nice. So yeah, I think part of the challenge would be okay, figuring out what combinations, and do I want to make it so I could tick off a second level, so you can put a different type on there, or not? I may just kind of glue it, just yeah. so I have. It, I think that'll be easier and sturdier if you start moving models around on higher floors. Yeah, how but, like modular to make it? Right. Yeah. 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 I probably probably won't make it too modular, but uh, you know. But maybe yeah, I'll leave some components free to move around, some smaller scatter terrain, of course. Yeah, I'm looking at this Azerite Shattered Plaza, and it seems like the first floor of the, these two buildings they have is the exact same sprue as what comes in the Catacombs box. Yep. Um, but they give you the second floor separately. Mm-hmm. And it looks like that second floor is just glued right on top. And then also have some smaller, like, standalone wall pieces, which I thought was a great great way to add, like, a second partial second level or whatnot. And part of the reason I yeah. got the Azerite Shattered Plaza is because it was the same wall set. So it'll all integrate really well. Yeah, it's definitely kind of of the same. Well, it's part of it is literally the same sprue. And then it's, yeah. like, additional yeah. pieces on top of that. Yeah, yeah it looks really cool. And that fountain is dope. Are you going to pour yeah. resin in it? Yeah, I think so. I've got a bunch, and I'll color it some funky colors, probably. You know, we'll figure out the what the colors. Of, you know, it's Soroth Core. They mentioned some of the rivers having some funky colors. So, <laughs> I think blood. I think it's blood. Blood we'll fountain. <laughs> it would be. It would be weird if it wasn't. Exactly. Right. <laughs> okay. I. Any, anything else to report in the forge? I won't ask you about your warband progress until the until uh, later. Circle of circle of pain right. challenge. <laughs> nope, nope. We can move on to path to glory, and I'll start here because I have not had any games yet. My stepson did promise as part of a Christmas gift to have a game day with me. And, uh, but, but he was, uh, you know, visiting family and then came back and he's been working uh, quite a bit. So we haven't had a chance to get some games in, but I did plan to get a Warcry game in. So hopefully by the okay. next time we record. We'll we'll next game. Time. Did he give you like coupon? No, yeah, no, no. He just, he just coupon? said it verbally. <laughs> oh, he just said it verbally. <laughs> All right. But I know you got something in. I did get a one game in uh, since our last episode, and it was a solo game. I played a challenge battle based in Toma Champions 2020, and it's the scenario The Fall of Snagglewart. Now, normally these challenge battles are set up in a way you would uh, two two players against one uh, AI opponent, but that's easily, I think, adjusted to just be one player, and that's what I took advantage of. And... The so I want to I want to talk about the scenario and why it was exciting to me and why I decided to play it. So the fall of Snagglewort is uh, takes place in Soloth Core, which is the setting of all of the Tome of Champions scenarios and background where they're really adding here. And what has happened is a loon boss has gotten into the city and has taken over a bunch of uh, districts. We have a git infestation on our hands, and it's so annoying and frustrating for the other. Uh, like chaos warbands and other warlords that you actually team up to try to get rid of uh, all these crops. And the plan is, is that you've acquired some action blast powder from priests of the ever raging flame. So that's right into my uh, scions. They probably have a bunch of it and you're right. going to blow up the loon shrine. Um, <laughs> so I have a loon shrine. I have a lot of gifts. I can easily set up this board, and that's why I was really excited about seeing what it would look like and playing it out. Uh, so I did, and 
so it kind of the battle uh, unfolded like this. So I, I set up the Loon Shrine. I pushed it a little bit back um, to balance it out for a one-person mode and to make it more aesthetically pleasing. I situated the Loon Shrine in the middle of my ruins terrain or for Gitzville. So these, it's a Loon Shrine like in the middle of what looks like Azerite ruins to give it like an urban feel. My signs are kicking in the front door. Snagglewart, uh, who's a loon boss, and his like bodyguards are hanging out around the loon shrine. That's like the first group. And then on turn two, kind of reinforcements come in from the sides. And so on turn two, I, was, I had one squig herd coming in and then one uh, kind of group of bounders. Uh, so I, I actually think, uh, canonically, I think this is uh, uh, Skitrag, uh, who I played last season. Uh, so Skitrag and a couple of their bounders are coming in uh, to reinforce the loon shrine. So my guys have to like fight their way through um, get a guy, get the guy with the blast powder on the shrine with no gits within two inches. And if at the end of the turn that happens, I blow up the loon shrine and win. So I kind of, uh, so you have the numbers initially. I, I rolled a quad. I ran up my immolator. He was only able to kill one grot and then was like immediately killed by all the other grots because they all activate at once. They just filled them with arrows and stuff. <laughs> um, and then everybody else like kind of charged my, the guy with the blast powder and put some damage on him. Um, but then like they were just in the middle of all of my folks. And so they were able to pounce on him kind of the, the, the faulty uh, tactics of the, of the wild fighter AI. So the wild <laughs> fighters is, we might talk about this more later, but you like yep. roll on the table based on the distance you are to other fighters. Um, and they have different debate, um, different bonuses and behaviors uh, depending on the die roll. Um, so that, so that, that was kind of the first turn. That's like, clearing out some goblins, losing some guys, and slowly creeping our way forward to the shrine. The guy that's holding the keg can only move half speed, and so that was one of my Fireborn, and he was uh, kind of creeping forward two inches a move, and so he moved four inches forward, and um, think anything else happened that round besides my Immolator dying immediately, which happens every game. Oh, we killed uh, Snagglewart. Snagglewart <laughs> just rushed into the middle of my guys, and we were able to kill him. Um, so, you know, so, so much for Snagglewart. <laughs> but turn two, the squig herd comes on. So it's two herders and three squigs. And squigs are incredibly dangerous in Warcry, so I, I was nervous about them. As well as three bounders, including uh, one bounder boss. So those guys are very fast. And so they bounced in. All the bounders came in. They attacked my the same initiate. My initiate survived the attacks of two of them, which was incredible. Uh, but the last one uh, killed him. But it kind of held them up for one turn, which was really good. The squigs all got bogged down. They killed my other two guys on the left, a Fireborn and another Initiate. So I'm like running low on guys here. Uh, but my Blazing Lord and Brazen Champion uh, are able to clear a path in the middle. Uh, that's Raxos and Lord Krastos were able to kind of clear a path in the middle. And then my Fireborn was able to gun it toward the Loon Trine where nobody was anymore uh, <laughs> and uh, blow up their Loon Trine. So, so awesome. I got to win. I got to win playing by myself. I also rolled, don't worry, Josh, I rolled on the injury tables for everybody that was out. Nobody had any injuries. Uh, I don't think anybody got any destiny, but I did get a cool artifact, which is blast powder bombs. And that's once per battle, I can take the art, I can use the artifact as an action. And I pick an invisible enemy fighter within nine. I throw a bomb at them. And then I roll a dice for each fighter within three inches of that fighter, which I imagine includes that fighter. And on a four up, it's die six damage. That's pretty good. Yeah. I think I put it on the Fireborn that was the demolitions expert for the scenario uh, <laughs> as a reward. And, like, him losing an action isn't as, uh, you know, is less meaningful than, like, you know, kind of the, the guys would have the powerhouse attacks. Right, right. Uh, 
So, so yeah, it was really it was it was like really fun, and I took a lot of pictures of this game, and I put them in the Google Doc, and I shared it in our Discord, and I'm gonna try to share it again in the Discord if you want to check it out. I don't want to oversell it; it's just a bunch of pictures with like one line captions on them. But maybe you're into that, and it was certainly fun to do. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's, it's definitely that's, a, a fun that's storytelling. That's the game I play. That's that's what that's what games are these days. So, so just for my edification, so it, normally the these challenge battles have two warbands together, and I think yes. this one had each each warband has supposed to have eleven hundred, and then there's essentially two thousand plus of the gets. So, how did you adjust the points for your solo player game? Um, well, I felt very ambitious and very confident, so I ended up only playing with a thousand points because I only had a thousand points painted of my right. scion. Everything else was on the painting uh, painting table, and. I dropped the number of, it's supposed to be like four groups, two start on the table and two come on as reinforcements, each with at least 500 points. Right. I dropped it down to three groups and so like 1500 and it ended up being much more than that because I did at least 500 and so usually the next model took it way over, but like right. the, the ones with all the bounders was like 600 plus. Yeah. yeah cool. um, no, no. So yeah, I, you know, I just, I kind of expect games where i know how the ai works and it's pretty simple to be easier so i try to handicap myself as much as possible with as many points as i can give the opponent Um, but i would have gotten run over i think if it had gone too many more turns um but you know i i didn't and i won i blew it up yeah it worked that's awesome no no that's awesome you were able to kind of tweak it so you could do a solo play with the with the ai the behavior table glad it worked out well yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to trying that myself. Yeah, I recommend it. Great. Well, our next topic, uh, Visions of Madness. And it's maddening, because I don't think we have a whole lot of stuff to talk about, unfortunately. Do you have anything that you can think of, Pavin? Um, I mean, I no, we don't I don't we don't have any announcements or news. Um if we want to go really mad, we could probably do some speculation. Mm-hmm. On the things that might be coming out for Age of Sigmar that might be Warcry Warbands? Yeah, no, I think we could do that. And uh, I think yeah. the only thing concrete is in February, Heed Knights of Slanesh will be their battle tome and their models yes. will be coming out. And obviously, we already have rules, cards for those new models, but they're not out and available yet. So that's definitely something to look forward to if you want to <laughs> play that particular warband. But yeah, share some of your uh, scrying. What do you think's coming? Well, there are rumors of a new death faction or a new kind of vampire death faction that may that may have a, a war band as part of it. There's a lot of rumor of open death rumor engine out there. Yeah. So could that be also a war cry or war cry or just war cry? Maybe. Certainly one pattern they could complete is like adding war cry war bands for all the grand alliances, at least one for each. So death could be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other possible thing is there's a lot of uh, a lot of rumors for witch hunters or vampire hunters, and that would ha- really fit a really nice Warcry niche, I think. Yeah. Of, uh, miniature and aesthetic, also a callback to Mordheim, where witch hunters were a faction itself, um, and that would make a lot of sense for like the forces of Sigmar and Azir sending like very specialized teams into the eight points to do like assassinations and other kind of killing of foul foul creatures yeah uh, so that would fit really well but those are all uh, kind of gross speculations right yeah i mean i think the 
Uh, I haven't really heard when the next Broken Realms book is supposed to be coming out, but it feels like it might be destruction focused too. You know, they've gotten some like new orc model to come out, and there's some hints around that. So yeah, it's kind of interesting to see what that new destruction book or that new Broken Realms, because I thought it'd be Slanesh focused with a the newborn, etc. So that might introduce some interesting factions that you could you could use to mm-hmm. theme your warbands in particular. But may or may not have any new models, but. Yeah, yeah, the yeah the we don't have a date. Yeah, the speculation I think uh, a lot of speculation I heard is they think the next book is Gordrak. Uh, yeah, but again, completely unconfirmed. <laughs> exactly, they might wait till February for the you know Broken Realms with any sort of Slanesh models because then at least Heed Knights will be out at that time. It would make sense. But uh, all right, well, with that we'll. Kind of tone down the madness, and we'll move into our Circle of Paint Challenge, where we are painting up two warbands that you will all be able to vote upon in uh, probably six weeks or so. I guess we'll have to figure that out soon. We've got one more episode after this, and then we'll probably do a half episode to cover. <laughs> you're, you're already the building in the half episode? <laughs> I need it. I need it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but we'll start with Paven because he's had a lot more progress this last session than I have. Uh, I'm sure. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk more because I think I already exhausted everybody with my hobby progress in the Forge of Mithraxa section. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about where I'm going. And I don't know if I'm going to get all the way there for the end of the challenge, but here, here are my thoughts. What I want to do with my Scions and my expanding Chaos Collection is kind of show the a little bit of the progress of a warband down the path to glory. And so my first wave is the scions I painted as part of the, the original eight in the box, in the, in the catacombs box, relatively unconverted. And then I want to see them like kind of advance along the chaos tracker. And so as they get, you know, maybe they're, you know, they're kind of a religious group. They, 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 they worship chaos in this abstract concept of flame um, you know, they're having, they're like a minor, they're just a war band in the eight points trying to carve out place, find meaning in this, in this existence. So like, as they stay in the eight points and as they have success there, they're going to uh, become more, I think, militaristic. They're going to learn more about chaos and then they're like, they're going to transition. They're going to look, start looking more like slaves to darkness and traditional chaos warriors. They're going to get more, they're going to be get more hardened they're gonna like know more about like tactics and stuff and that's kind of the the arc i want to show so the next group is gonna they're gonna be still the signs of the flame models and i'm still gonna use those rules but they're gonna start to have more heavily armored bits and more kind of traditional slaves to darkness uh iconography mm-hmm. so uh i i'm pro- i don't know if i'm gonna use the the kit for um the slaves to darkness start collecting i'm definitely going to pick up yeah it's kagra's ravagers uh that new underworld war band which is going to come out this month apparently yeah Uh, i thought and and i'm gonna you know use some of those bits and so that's going to be kind of them going in that direction It also allows me to like have the same set of models but uh, visually distinguish them i i don't like exact same model exact same pose uh right um, and then there's going to be like kind of the final stage where they are like probably part of a larger warhouse, um, you know, fully within Archeon's armies, you know, part of the chaos war machine as it churns on through the mortal realms. And so these are going to be warriors of chaos that have that are using uh, 
Slaves to Darkness Warcry rules, but have kind of still kind of are attached to the the Scions icons. They're still going to have flames on them, and they're mm-hmm. still going to have like some of the doodads and pieces from the Scions kit, and it's all going to be in the same scheme. And they're going to be maybe part of that culture that have just lived longer, or they're my same warband over time. I haven't really decided that yet. And these are going to be kind of, they're going to, like, the base miniature is going to be a Slaves to Darkness miniature, but I'm going to use bits from the Scions and other flame miniatures to, to show that they're, they're, they're still, like, they still worship the flame, but they also know who Korn is. Right. Uh, and they, like, you know, know how to, like, fight in ranks rather than just, like, scrum it out in this street of Karngrad. <laughs> so... That, that's kind of where I'm going. Uh-huh. Um, I kind of kits I want to pick up. I want to pick out the flagellant kit, which is really old fantasy battles empire kit, which is all, you know, a doomsday, uh, prophets that it would, you know, that would just join the empire's armies and then, uh, die. Um, but they have a lot of good flame bits that I'm hoping to use. I hopefully they're not too low detail, but they're usable, but there's at least a couple cool heads and I want to use those. And then I'm going to pick up the new, uh, slaves of darkness. Underworld Warband, and then maybe the Slaves of Darkness start collecting. But that's committing to a lot of models, so we'll right, see how right. it goes from there. But yeah, I love the vision. You know the, that whole progression into you know it's also kind of right into the Warcry Path to Glory. You know, small size army. You know, it's, it's really cool the idea to see how they their progression and how you've thought it out already. That's pretty cool. I like it. Yeah, I hope I'm able to make uh, cool miniatures as part of this idea. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Very characterful. Great. Well, my update section's much shorter. I'm way behind on painting. <laughs> but I did order, um, you know, as part of the inspiration I had when I was changing the color schemes, I've been hearing about this uh, Chimera Colors pigments and how, how they work really well for the airbrush as well as, uh, you know, the higher intensity color. And you can kind of dilute them and mix paints a little easier. So I did request that for, for a Christmas gift as well as a, a new wet palette. I have a small one that's kind of homemade with a Tupperware container and a sponge <laughs> and some other stuff. And so I'm now I'm getting, I've seen a lot of people talk about these, these fancier wet palettes and, and I, I requested one of those, but due to shipping delays, it's not quite here yet. So I'm really psyched to try those out and I need to force myself to sit down and, uh, and, and start doing some painting. Usually I do that at the the dinner table, but with the holidays we cleared it all off so that we could actually have our holiday meals there. So I need to re-go possess a corner of that table and start painting some more, so, or or maybe take it into my office and start doing it there too. But but yeah, that's that's my goal for the next couple of weeks is to, to hit the painting hardcore. I'm excited to see it. Yes, I'll t- definitely share some pictures when I've got a a newer test model to share. So good. Okay. All right. Well, with that, uh, we'll take a short break and then we'll come back with our victory condition and uh, the rest of the episode. Season three is here and we're excited to bring you more Dogs of Warcry. We'll be discussing new warbands, the starter box catacombs, our ongoing games and narrative play, and keeping you up to date on our Circle of Paint challenge. Thank you for the encouragement and we hope you enjoy this episode of Dogs of Warcry. Please share your ideas and feedback with us as we travel the eight points together. All right, welcome back. Our victory condition this episode is to discuss all of the great content in Tome of Champions 2020, 
and cover some of our favorite examples. I did want to state that we're not going to go in depth of Soroth Core campaign because we're going to save that for another episode because it's got so much great content that we thought it deserved its own episode. So we are going to cover all the new rules, updates, and the narrative campaigns and faded quests, etc., and uh, and kind of cover all of that. But uh, stay in tune for our thoughts on Soroth Core next time. Starting with that, it's Tome of Champions Part 1. We've got things from Tome of Champions 2019. What kind of changes did we have, Paven? So we had the Trial of Champion rules. Those are re- reproduced in here, so you don't need to buy Tome of Champions 2019 to get Trial of Champions. Uh, there's also some enhancements to Trial of Champions, which we'll get on get into later. Um, and then there's the Glory System update, which was really which is really good. Um, it puts less emphasis on winning and more just playing, and so like it's not so punishing to lose. You still get lots of glory. Right. Um, and it, uh, Josh, I think you caught something I didn't that it's actually a little bit different than 2019. Am I reading the show notes correctly? Yep. Yep. Exactly. So in the in the previous glory update and Tommy Champions 2019, the, there was an underdog bonus where you got plus one glory if your opponent had more territories than you, and that's been tweaked a little bit in this set where the opponent has to have two or more territories than you before you get that plus one bonus. So, so yeah, it's a small adjustment, but everything else was the same. Yeah, and again, it, it's a, definitely a good update from the core rulebook glory system. I think that was uh, all the changes I noted from the 2019, you know, besides mm-hmm. some of the other stuff coming up. Yep. New rules. So, yeah, yeah. I guess if you're, if you're concerned, you don't need to get 2019 anymore. I don't even know if you can get 2019 anymore still a valuable book because there's a lot of cool scenarios and challenge battles in there and faded quests yep um but you don't need it right yeah, yeah just get this one first yeah this is great yeah especially with the new rules yes new rules all right you want to capture the uh, touch on the first new rule set sure we have a, a couple of core changes to the game that are very welcome they're they're t- they're tweaks but they're they're very welcome. Uh, the first one is consumable artifacts. They're changing. Uh, they're waving another magic uh, developer wand, and they're changing how consumable artifacts work. And now, instead of taking an action, one of your two precious actions to uh, use your consumable item, you just get to use it as a bonus action. So yes. consumables now read the ba- the bear can use this lesser artifact as a bonus action, which means free. You can just yeah. do it. And this saves so many items to, from being almost useless that you would never use an action to use them to right. just really fun artifacts that you now get to play with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm thinking of you, Shadow Orb, specifically, where you could <laughs> exactly. sacrifice an action to gay fly. But fly would almost never be more useful than the extra double movement if you really right. needed to them. Like, so rarely. But now you can just like you know smash that ord and just scoot off into the into space um, <laughs> with both your both your move actions. So that's yeah. great. Uh, I we talked very early in season one how to fix consumable artifacts. Yeah. Um, and this is by far the most. Um, it was more. Uh, I, boy, I'm really struggling. It has greater effect on like the power of individual artifacts. Like all consumables are now way better. Yeah. Um, just straight up. Um, I think we were talking a lot about like, oh, there's like a new ability you can use where you get, you can use a consumable as a bonus action or other things. Uh, I forget what other rules we kicked around, but this is great. I'm so happy they did this. Yeah. That was, like you said, game changing. Yeah. And we did incorporate uh, as a free action in one of our 
uh, campaign seasons, and, and it worked well because people used them more because, like you said, it didn't take up a precious action. So really happy to see it's an official, official change that'll, like you said, add so much more value to some of those lesser artifacts. <laughs> yeah, so the next rule set, of course, they, they added the Grand Alliance Moonmark clarification. So they got a table showing all the factions and which Grand Alliances they belong to. So this is this book was definitely integrated for the Grand Alliance Warcry books, and they all came out at the same time, which makes perfect sense. And then they also had some adjustments to reinforcements and how they work. And this is uh, supposed to replace the paragraph in the core book. Again, this, this reinforcement section is about spending glory before you pick your warband for a campaign battle. If your warband has less dominated territory than your opponent, or the battle is a convergence battle, and you are the aspirant warband. So you can spend one glory, or three glory points. You spend war in one glory, you get 50 extra points. Spend three glory, you get 100 extra points to, to use in your campaign. So yeah, a small tweak on how it works, but I think it lets you use it, uh, gives you more flexibility in how to use it, which is nice. Yeah, I think the big point here is that you could always do it if you were the underdog. You could spend right. some glory to catch up a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are, but now the, the way it reads is that even if you're the favorite by points and dominated territories, you can still spend that glory if it's your convergence battle. Right. Which is um, awesome. Well, yeah, some which is great, especially uh, for folks that are really struggling on their convergence. It's nice to spend that glory to get just every little bit of advantage you can. Um, and I'm always rooting for people on their convergences, um, yeah. even as I smash them in uh, to prevent them from getting them. Um, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Can't make it too easy. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think that's great. That, that these are the, all these r- rules feel good. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think definitely enhance the game in, in a lot of good ways. It's nice to see that they're willing to. I mean, the glory point adjustment was the first kind of insight we got to rule changes per se. So this was nice to see that they're yeah, as an annual book they're planning to see how things work and tweak things so that everybody's still having a good time with the game mm-hmm. okay i think our next section uh, is this book you know obviously the core book has a section called triumph and treachery for multiplayer games and they have a lot of interesting games and we talked about them in one of our episodes during the first season and this book introduces another type of triumph and treachery called pit fighting uh paven did you want to describe what your thoughts are on that I wanted you to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll describe it. <laughs> yeah. So the pit fighting is actually really cool. So it's different than the the white dwarf uh, rule set we talked about for September 2019 and some of the the, the campaign games in here, where where this can have up to three to six warbands all on the table. And the unique aspect is you have one to three fighters per warband, and no greater than 250 points total. Uh, you can have one of those have a leader wound mark, but uh, they don't have to. And essentially, uh, it's just your one to three models showing up with all these other models, and you're going at it. There's no allies, no thralls, no monsters. There's usually six deployment zones for all of your, your members of the warband to come on. There are three different terrain cards, that you do, so you just kind of roll, and, and then whoever wins the initiative chooses one of those. There are three different types of victories. No twists. But that's because there's a random events table, which has got some really unique stuff on there, including like the the arena master letting monsters run onto the field and affect the fights, which is you know, this is great. The unique thing about this pit fighting uh, triumph and treachery rule set is they introduce these special reactions, and they work by keeping your singles. So having 
the most singles not only wins you an initiative, but you hold on to them. You set them aside, and you can use one of those dice to use a special reaction. And these reactions include reposting or parrying or attack grappling. And uh, so you just use one of those dice, and then you roll on a four-up. You usually get an effect. But it adds a lot of really unique interactive combat where you can now grapple an opponent or or block an attack and then stick them with their with your sword. So I, I imagine a lot of people are going to have fun with this, especially um, in in days where you know they, they even recommend like in days where you might be having a campaign, but there maybe there are too many people and everybody can't get games in. This is a great way to have six people throw down have a good time, and they even have a section that talks about, okay, if you're including this pit fight as one of your campaigns, you can use it as an event, and it just talks about how you can distribute glory to those members in the, you know, in those war bands, and you, know, you can get glory for using triples and, and quads and things like that. So a lot of really fun, uh, interesting uh, reactions there. I think people are going to have a great dynamic time trying these out. And I definitely see us using it as like an event day during our, you know, next campaign leagues and looking forward to trying them out. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. These these multiplayer rules look a lot more exciting to me than the like the ones in other books. Right. Um, Because all the multiplayer games can take longer. They can you can be really waiting around for your turn. You can be so far away from your opponent, like it's just like you never get there. But this has like a lot of things in it to speed things up like there's less there's less fighters like i think you know it, I, I'm, I'm really excited and i think it's better more more um, cleanly integrated into a campaign so i don't know if you're writing down like things i really want to do when we're like running war cry league again or when you're running Warcry league i never ran it i just participated but uh, <laughs> uh like this is definitely one of the things that should be on that list yeah no no definitely definitely on the list especially when i get that arena finish printing and pin it up that'll be a great way to incorporate it they also had some dungeon layouts that you can use some of the catacomb board yeah you know for for integrating that and you know i think it, a lot of good options especially adding monsters to you know mess things up and it's gonna be a, it'll be a lot of fun to try out i yeah. can't wait and i think it's also like so new player friendly just yeah. like yeah you need like two models like or one model maybe yeah. uh, like 250 points is nothing it's like just your leader um, <laughs> it could be. Yeah, and then you just like move that guy, and you, you you punch him up, and I think you have a good time. And like if, like somebody comes in the store and wants to play, like give them a model. Yeah, and then like they just join the next round, which will start in like fifteen minutes. So yeah, yeah, I can see this is definitely like you said a great way to introduce new players and try out some of the unique fighting and and like oh you only have one painted model, no problem. We got a game for you. It's great. Yeah, here it comes. Awesome. All right. Well, you want to describe some of us uh, for us what some of the new narrative battles are in the since we're skipping the Sorothcore campaign. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorothcore campaign is pages and pages of of dope campaign rules. Yes. Sorry, I'm going. Okay. So narrative battles, new section. Um, these are how do you how how should we conceptualize these? I would say that these are like the Warcry version of like Age of Sigmar scenarios. Mm-hmm. So it like comes to you like kind of fully formed with all of the rules, like the deployment, who attacker, defender, kind of all of these things set up ahead of time instead of like drawing cards or rolling dice to dynamically generate it. And it's I think to create a more cohesive and a little bit more curated experience. Um, I think all these narrative battles can totally be used as both like a pickup game or within a campaign. 
it's just a little bit more prescriptive. Yeah. And yep. yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's it. They they come with six of them, and I think me and Josh picked out our two favorite, and we'd love to tell you about them. Yeah. So one thing uh, to add to that is all of these, uh, as Paven said, they're kind of scripted to set in a, in a certain way, and and that's also to incorporate a special battle plan ability. They all have a special battle plan ability that sometimes yeah. one one of the warbands can use or not, or everybody can to kind of add a unique flavor to it. So. So that so that also changes a little bit from the standard card setup. All right, Paven, you want to describe your narrative battle that picked? Yes. So this is the arcane ritual, which I think is like a nut. Like I don't know. I, this is I have no evidence of this, but I imagine that the rules writer is like, oh, I really want to take another shot at the ritual. Right. Because we've uh, talked about and <laughs> praised and insulted the ritual victory condition from the original board game many a time. Because uh, it's all just like dice, and it feels like it's uh, very hard to win, and it's uh, kind of a mess. But it's still very fun, very thematic. Um, and so the theme of this battle is that there's like a one warband is doing some kind of arcane or religious or some kind of uh, uh, voodoo in a place, and and you know they have all of their their totems and their potions and their lotions and everything set up. And, and the attacker is trying to spoil the ritual. And so this is a more detailed version of it. So there's a, there's a, a lot of, of differences to the original ritual, which is just like the defender like picks one spot and that's the ritual site. And then the attacker me- immediately swarms it. Then there's like no way to win. But in this one, so you get to do a lot of things. One is you, you take, you figure out who is the attacker and who's the defender. And then, the, then you draw three terrain cards. The defender gets to pick which terrain cards in. They already know the deployment. The uh, defender starts in the middle, um, and the attacker starts off to one side, and then everybody else like kind of comes in later. Your your dagger and shield comes in later. Um, so you have the defender has that information. They get to pick the terrain. That's an advantage. Then they get to set up an additional piece of terrain that's not on the terrain card. That's another advantage. Then the the defender can set up die three pieces of deadly terrain anywhere on the battlefield. So like kind of like fortifying their position. So this is both thematic. In that, like, this is their area that they've set up ahead of time, but also, like, help them try to win this probably difficult uh, scenario for them, right? And then you get, they get to deploy the three, there's three objective markers. And these, and one is the ritual site, which is like the main spot where things are happening. And then there are two, what are they called? Arcane repositories. Uh, arcane repositories. So these are like additional sites that help feed into the main one. Um, so the defender gets to pick where all of those are. And then you score points as thus. If the defender has the ritual site, they get die six. And if they have the ritual site, and then and then if you have the ritual site, you can also get an extra die three if you have the arcane repository. So if you have the ritual in the middle, you can use the arcane repositories to pump it up. For the attacker, no matter which one they have, for each one they have the... Um, and so it's not, I guess they don't score points. There's just like a ritual point counter to so the defender wants to add to it. The, the attacker wants to subtract to it. So if they own uh, an objective, they get to subtract die three. So there is, we're still rolling the dice, um, but there's more mitigating, more strategy. One more thing. So the, the battle ends after, um, if the number of victory points is ever 18, um, so the number of ritual points, or I guess these are the defender's victory points, is ever 18 at the end of the battle round, the defender wins. 
or after the fourth battle round, if they haven't achieved eight, 18 yet, the attacker wins. Gotcha. The special battle plan ability is trash the repository. And for a double, you can use this ability if you already own the objective, which means you've owned it from last round, and you have a fighter within one inch, they can remove the arcane repository from the battlefield. So I guess what a defender can do is they can like cap it in the first turn, but when they feel like, you know, the bad guys are coming and they're going to retake the artifact. They like knock all the bottles off the table and like smush up the circle and like, you know, <laughs> uh, disperse the salt or whatever they do so that the attacker can't use this, the ritual site uh, against them. Right. So I, nice. I think it's really cool. I think it's really cinematic. I love the ritual. I love the narrative behind it and the, the cinematics. Um, I wonder if this will give us a better gameplay. I hope it does. Yeah, you know, I think having three points that can be contested, you know, I think yeah. would make it a lot more dynamic. So the one I chose was called Storm the Encampment. Again, you know, like you described, it's, it's interesting. You roll off for attacker defender. The defender gets to place terrain and deadly terrain to, to make it defensible, which is, you know, which makes sense because it's their encampment. And your leader, you essentially decided you've had enough and you're going to rush the enemy and take care of them once and for all. So the defender gets to set up their position and has to put down some treasure pieces. And this is similar to a different scenario where the defender can't pick up the treasure and just has to keep it, has to protect it. The, the, the attacker has to try and, and get the treasure and, uh, and get it out someplace safe. And the, in this particular scenario, the attacker picks one twist from three cards. So you can kind of, the attacker gets to plan their attack essentially a little bit. Uh, where in, in like this scenario you discussed, the defender gets the advantage of the, of the twist card. And that, but I think the one thing that really was interesting about this scenario and, and drew me to it is that this unique battle plan ability is only for the attacker. But if you have a model within one inch of a terrain piece, you can use an ability and set fire to the terrain piece and it becomes dangerous terrain, deadly terrain for the rest of the game. It's a great image for this. Attackers rushing onto the board. Oh, we're going to burn down your encampment. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is awesome. You can set flames to buildings and, you know, people be running around, all sorts of fun stuff. So definitely a, a cinematic uh, battle plan in my mind. It's great. I like it. I like it a lot. I like it um, especially because it's kind of set up so the defender will set up like a fortification in the middle with all the treasure and yeah. the attackers like kind of swarming it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And there was one other, uh, maybe I'm thinking of this as a challenge battle. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge battle later that was just super awesome. I didn't pick it, but we'll have to just mention it later. But, uh, yeah, it can be a, uh, sad thing. Uh, yeah, it's special. Swarm of Champions one, yeah. But, uh, all right, so now we'll touch on, uh, there's one addition to the Trial of Champion rules that uh, Paven alluded to. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the rules are the same, except they added a unique factor where if you roll a double while you're rolling on the lesser artifact table, you now get a champion reward. So, uh, except for double ones, which is dead, you know, so you, <laughs> that does, you're slain. You, you don't find not. anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, but the, the champion rewards are instant. Um, and they, there are a lot of interesting things. Like the, they move the lifestone here, which is you know something that one fight in your warband removes permanent and temporary injuries. They've added a, a wandering sawbones to heal as well, Urgold ingots, which give you d6 glory points, and uh, you know a map fragment and an astral compass. So just a another little reward for rolling a double 
during your lesser artifact tables. Then I thought it was a nice touch and, and fun stuff because it's instant and it can help help your guys survive and recover a little bit more from the injury tables, which is kind of, which is always nice. <laughs> yeah. And they and they get these instant rewards on top of the lesser artifact they get on the tables. Right. Right. Yeah. Good just more more stuff for you to get, which I think is great. I think it's more yeah. fun. It's more tables. I am uh, I'm always a fan of more tables, uh, you know, until until I until it's uh, <laughs> we hit too much, and then I'll let everybody know. I'm like, all right, all right it's not a table. but I think we're good. It's still, it's still, and it isn't an easy one. You just if you roll a double when you're searching for lesser artifacts, um, you just get this instant, but it's not necessarily this instant reward, which you know is more glory or something else. Yeah, um, but it's not something necessarily you have to write down in your campaign sheet. Yeah, I agree. All right, and uh, so the next section we'd like to talk about are the faded quests. You know, the Trial of Champions 2019 had a lot of new faded quests. This is no mm-hmm. different. The, the main difference here uh, is that it's they're themed for places in Soroth Core, but they can be played independently of that, of course. As you mentioned in our notes here, Pavement, that some of them take place on those additional Catacombs boards, the, the expansion pack, which is fun. That's a great way to add some of that element, and I, one of the ones I chose will, will kind of cover that, but... We'll let you choose your example. Wait, and Josh, I have a question for you first. Yeah. Has every Warcry publication since the core book had faded quests in it? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Great. It's so something to expect. Yeah, we always get new faded quests. Everybody can use them. They're great uh, additional gameplay and expansion to the lore. Here are our two favorites. Here's my favorite. It's called The Cost of Avarice. And... So this takes place in the dead city of Solof Four, as does everything else in this book. But here you find you found your way. Your warbind has found its way to the grand library of Solof Four, and in that library, you're just ransacking it, looking for things of value to resell in the kind of horrible markets of Karngrad. And you find a book, and it is um, you know it, you know you know it's bad news because it's not called a book; it's called a grimoire. Um, and as soon as you, it lands in your hands, you are teleported to some, some maze, but you're outside of the science city. Suddenly you're in this horrible maze and the book starts talking to you and making fun of you. And now you have to like battle your way out of this different hellscape and escape, uh, back out into the library. Um, and so this is cool. Um, we got a, you know, possessed book. We're being teleported somewhere. Is it the realm of chaos? Is it just, you know, I mean, the eight points is close to chaos. Is it some just horrible micro realm? Um, you don't know. Who, who is this book? How do we kill it? Um, and then so that's what that's the campaign your warband gets to go on. And then your choice at the end of it is whether you are whether you destroy the book or, to escape or you keep the book for yourself as the prize as you bound it to your will, at least for now. Um, <laughs> so I think that I, 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 I like all the narrative of it. I also like, as Josh mentioned, this is one of the faded quests that takes place on the additional Catacombs board pack. Um, this one takes place in the Lair of the Spheric board. Now, I don't know if that means this campaign has transported you to the Lair of the Spheric. I don't know if that ne- necessarily has to be true. Um, right. But I do like a good dungeon campaign. So mm-hmm. um, this one's, yeah, I, I, yeah, this is why I like it. I think it's, I think it's fun and. Um, it's really getting you good use out of that board pack, which I don't have. But now that I have all this terrain painted, I think I should pick up because I imagine it might be a limited 
opportunity purchase. Yeah, it's hard to tell at this point, but yeah, the the boards are definitely unique, and uh, the change of layouts will be fun because you start getting used to playing on one board. Your strategies might start to be mm-hmm. more solidified. So yeah, definitely good to change it up, especially now that we have so many narrative elements to encourage it. Yes, awesome. But yeah, that that was a great scenario. I loved the book and the teleportation. I was like, aha, you found me. We're out of here. <laughs> so it's <was> great. <laughs> So the, the Faded Quest I chose is called the, the Maudlin House, and it takes place in the House of Sorrows, which is essentially like the the largest um, kind of crypt. You know, it was it was a large building in Sorothcore where the people prepared the dead and interred them and, and, and did their ceremonies, and it's been sealed off. There's been you've been called here, and there's a lot of people who've been called here across the eight points for some purpose. You play on the Lost Valorum dungeon board, so it's, it's got a very spooky feel for it. And you're making your way through here. You have to bust on the doors because they've been sealed to prevent lost spirits from coming out. And you're making your way down deeper and deeper in here. And you find out that you, know, you finally come and, and encounter a bunch of spirits, and they're upset because you're still you're you're not just following their whim, but they're celebrating the Feast of Souls. So they've been calling people across the eight points to devour their souls. This is fun because it's celebrated with Lunagas waxes in Shaish. And apparently this has been going on since the city was first established. So again, another mention of Lunagas and, and you know somehow they're keeping track of where it is in Shaish. So I thought that was interesting. So you, uh, you get to this point and you've discovered that, oh, the, 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 having this Feast of Souls, since you're still sane, they say, well, you could join them or you could banish them. And uh, so that's the honor or glory. And you get some pretty cool artifacts out of this. You can you know, either get, if you decide to banish them, which is the honor, you get to rampage for free once per battle. That's oh. the, yeah, that's the exalted command trait you get. It's amazing because you, you, know, you have this immense willpower. And if you go for glory and decide to join them, you get this potent dagger which uh, gives you plus one damage to, to your hits or critical hits for each enemy you've killed in that battle. So if you kill one enemy, you get plus one. You kill two enemies, you've gotten plus two, and it, it kind of continues to go up for the course of the battle. So yeah, really interesting. They've added a lot of interesting uh, artifacts throughout this book. Like mm-hmm. One of them, I think, lets you use uh, Inspiring Presence to triple for free once per game. So lot, lots of interesting uh, additions. It's nice to see the variety that they keep coming up with for the exalted command traits in the in the artifacts for sure. But yeah, there are a lot of really interesting mm-hmm. faded quests. The challenge battles, like you said, are so much more fun. You know, co-op now with, with the special rules for wild fighters, and we'll definitely have to jump into that next. And since you've kind of tried this out, would you mind describing how wild fighters work in a little bit more detail? I would love to. Uh, give me a moment while I flip to the right page. Yeah, I'm doing the same. So I can back you up. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, this set of challenge battles, now we've gotten challenge battles before. I think the last time we got them was in Tome of Champions 2019. Although, no, we had challenge battles with all of the Grand Alliance books. Yep. Um, usually they're themed around something. For this set of challenges... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, also with Monsters and Allies. So Yeah, and all the books yeah. so far. Yeah. <laughs> all the books also have challenge battles. Okay, great. <laughs> So for this set of challenge battles, there's often a prerequisite and a stake. So for challenge battles, so that is like in a campaign game um, to do a challenge battle is how many territories do you need to have? Like how much 
renowned does your does your warband have? They have to be somewhat established in order to take on these challenges. And then if you lose a challenge battle, how much do you lose? Um, so, like for example, you could have a requirement of three three dominated territories, and then if you, and a stake of one. So if you lose a challenge battle, you lose one. And then you can you know at the end of the challenge battle, usually there's some reward. Could be you now have a monster on your team. It could be you get a bunch of lesser artifacts. It could be you get a specialized artifact. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's for all challenge battles. For these specific challenge battles, what is in, uh, thematic across them is wild fighters, and that these these wild fighters are controlled by either the players uh, based on the, the behavior uh, on a dice roll, or by um, kind of a, a third kind of DM player. And the, these wild fighters behave in uh, a bunch of unique ways um so one is they are in battle groups so instead of being a daryl hammer and shield they're in these battle groups um and these battle groups usually the scenario the challenge battle will scenario will tell you how many battle groups and then how many points they should each be and then when it's time for the the wild fighters turn battle group is activated um and the players can choose which battle group or in my game i just roll the dice to choose which one would activate next and then when that battle group activates, you activate each fighter in that battle group in turn. And then each fighter behaves differently depend on the table setup or like the table, their relationship with the rest of the table. Specifically, how close are they to a fighter? So if they're in, there's, there's three kind of, uh, groups of behaviors the fighter can be. And that's in combat range, in threat range, and beyond threat range. In combat range means they have like a weapon that can hit an enemy fighter. So that's pretty simple. Do you have a bow? Can you hit somebody with it without moving? Great. If you have an axe and you're right next to somebody, great. That means you're in combat. In threat means you can move and then hit somebody with a weapon. So it's like, are you within a move? Then you can attack. That's in threat range. And then beyond threat range is you're not. You can't move and then attack somebody. And then, so you roll a die six and then on the table you will, you get a behavior. So for in combat, you're almost always attacking. Sometimes you double attack. Sometimes you recuperate an attack, which means you heal, um, I believe you five heal damage. by, yeah. but heal five damage points, mm-hmm. and then you attack. Um, and then there's, there's also, if you roll higher, you kind of behave a little bit more aggressively, these wild fighters. So berserk, for example, um, means you get plus one attack. So, uh, if you roll five when you're in combat, for example, you do berserk, which is plus one attack, and then you attack, attack. Kind of like onslaught. And then there's, you know, another one in threat range or often moving into threat range and attacking. But sometimes you just like heal and then move. Sometimes you, sorry, sometimes you get plus one strength, sometimes you get plus one attack, sometimes you do impact damage. Um, and then beyond threat range is often you'll either recuperate or kind of you slowly start to move towards the nearest enemy you can see. Often this so, is a double move. Sometimes you can double move and then do impact damage. So you're not doing attack, but you're doing die three damage to to you hit. Um, uh, nice way to add abilities for the for the AI, essentially, you know, because they don't have ability dice per se. Yeah, and so you don't have to worry about ability dice. Um, usually, everything the AI is doing is just kind of moving forward and attacking whatever they're closest to, um, which is like a simple way to play. You don't have to spend a ton of, ton of time with really complex behaviors. Often, they don't like play to the scenario. Well, they almost never play the scenario. They're just trying to take your fighters off the battlefield, which I think is fine. And I. I think it was a smooth way of playing. I like, I, you know, it was, it was quick. I didn't have to look too many things up and they can be really deadly because they're not, may not be doing things in the most tactical, tactical way, but they're almost always like trying to take your pieces off the, off the battlefield. 
and they're just yeah. rolling lots of dice. They're getting plus one attack. They're getting plus one strength. They're like double moving on top of your guys. And, you know, if you're already like in it, activating all their guys at once is an advantage. If they're far away, activating their guys at once is a disadvantage because they kind of all move up into you and then you can counterattack. But yeah, uh, so far, it, yeah, I, I really like the one game I played. I think it's great rules. It'll be fun to take on the challenges with a buddy. Uh, yeah. do some co-op. And yeah, and if you wanted to make it harder or more challenging, I would just add more points to the the wild fighters. Yeah, to their battle groups. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's one of the really interesting things about this set of challenge battles is most of the time your adversary is playing the the opposing force. This time you're allied to somebody against uh, oh, an AI controlled force, which or like you said, maybe a third player DM sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of fun. It's a, a, a difference that I thought was really a nice way to, you know, uh, change up the game face. It was like, oh, wait, wait, now we're on the same side all of a sudden for some reason. <laughs> Pretty cool. Thank you for describing that, Pavin. Do you want to go ahead and share with us the, the one you thought was uh, was fun? I am happy to. So I won't talk about the fall of Snaggerot, even though I thought that one was very fun. I'll pick out my other favorite, which is Envoy of the Demon King. For this one, you and a buddy are... You, okay, I'll read it. I'll read some of it. You fought your way to the heart of silence at the center of Sorath Core, and many crooked temples lie abandoned here. And uh, I don't know how much more of this to read. Perhaps inside one, answers to some of the city's many secrets can be found as you and your ally arrive, however. A sonorous and unsettling sound carries through the air. Chanting, it appears that a coven of... Car- uh, uh, what are the acolytes? Kyrick? Carrick. Carrick acolytes have been assembled to work some great ceremony of sacrifice illuminated by strange witch fire torches. So like, uh, so you come across like a a Zinchian warband doing some ritual. You and your ally fight them. And then as soon as all of the, and this is the, I think this is the hardest one in here, which is maybe why I liked it. So you need six dominated territories. You and your ally can each take 1300 and then you're going to play against like three wild fighter battle groups, each of at least 260 points of disciples of uh, Zinch Arcanites. Mm-hmm. And then you have to wipe them all out. And then once you've killed all the Arcanites, a Lord of Change appears in its <laughs> own battle group. And this is an exalted battle group, which instead of having one activation, it gets three activations. And the, this play, it's got a bonkers profile, 120 wounds, and it's got a range nine magic attack. Three attacks, strength nine, six and nine damage. Um, and, then, and then on top of that, every time it activates, it, it casts a spell. And so it's a randomly generated spell. On a one or two, it's Mystic's Shield. And that, okay, it's like no damage points can be allocated to the Lord of Change from attack actions as long as the sh- until the shield is broken. And so in order to break it, you have to have an attack that targets the Lord of Change that scores any critical hit. And then gotcha. that ta- that attack is still thrown away, but then the shield gets broken. Um, <laughs> and then there's a storm of magic one, which is die six damage to every fighter within nine inches. And then one where it uh, translocates, so it like disappears and then uh, appears again, like far away from fighters. So if you've really ganged up on it, it can disappear and then appear somewhere else and then blast you again with more magic, which oh. is one shotting most things. <laughs> um, and then you have to, you have to kill the Lord of Change in six rounds, otherwise you lose. And so that would be super. Like I don't have the Lord of Change, um, but I would like think about painting it up because it seems like a really great, really fun scenario. 
Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> you could probably use any sort of demon type model and then represent, uh, you know, with the stats. But yeah, that's no, be a that's lot not of fun. fun. It must be in the, exactly as the book. <laughs> must be this. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm a very coloring in the lines kind of guy, Josh. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Josh, tell me about your uh, your challenge value you pick. Definitely. So I picked one that was in theme with the Faded Quest that, uh, that I, I thought was interesting. And uh, this one is called March of the Dead. And actually, the narrative battle that I chose. Um, and and uh, I'll read the description here. It says, you and your ally are squaring off to battle over an outpost near the House of Sorrows, greatest of Sorothkor's mausoleums. When a chill wind fills the air, from every crypt and shadowed cranny march the dead, intent on seeing you join their ranks. You must band together to fight and survive until the bloody sun rises once more. Though, should your opponent opposite number fall, it's only natural your claim to the territory would stand strongest. So I thought this was great, because you and your opponent all of a sudden are like, oh, yeah, we're allies. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Your whole war band starts on the table in one quarter of the board, and this is your settlement. And uh, you can set up, uh, you know, however many pieces of terrain you want, kind of making this a defensive area. And you have six battle rounds. Uh, the you get about a uh, little over a thousand points for each of your warbands, and you have to fight against five wild wild fighter battle groups of at least four hundred points or more in each one. It's it's essentially the Night of the Living Dead sort of scenario where you have to survive six turns. And if, if you have the most models in your quarter of the board at the end of six turns, you know, more than your than the dead undead models, then you win. If there are more undead models in your quarter of the board at the end of six turns, then you lose. And additionally, there's endless hordes. So for every model you kill, it comes on in the reserve phase next turn from one of the deployment zones. So they just keep coming. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is a great scenario. How long can you survive? And you got to keep them out of that quarter of the board, too, which I think is, is going to be the hardest part. So, but you do get some neat uh, choices of treasures if you win, you know, a treasure hoard, an artifact of power called the Null Charms. But, uh, but yeah, I thought it was really interesting that you just have these waves and waves of undead that you have to push out of your zone and just survive six turns to make it. So. <laughs> uh, just a, a couple of brief mentions. There is the challenge battle in here where you have to fight against, what is that, a Mega Gargant, right? Yeah, that yep. we heard about. It's definitely in there. Really cool. And uh, the other challenge battle I thought was super cool is called Tide of Chaos, where, again, you're fighting against waves of mutants and all sorts of stuff. And it has a table with some unique artifacts of power that you might get. That one looked that looked really interesting as well. But uh, a lot of really cool challenge battles in this book. Okay. All right. With that mentioned, we do have some changes in the lesser artifacts, but maybe some. There's quite a bit changing. A lot of the artifacts are similar. But what they've done with the Grand Alliance books that come out is they've introduced lesser artifact tables for each Grand Alliance. And one of the things they did here is they included a page kind of describing each of the Grand Alliance factions and some of the types of treasures that they would look for or that they have, which kind of explains what's in the lesser artifact tables, which I thought was really nice. Uh, very, uh, you know, I enjoyed the story and, and the narrative description of, of why certain things are in those particular tables. Uh, did you have any other comments about the, the tables themselves before we give some examples? 
Yeah, only one is that I want to kind of amend what I said earlier that there weren't any other changes to Toma Champions 2019. Um, and that is the Trial of Champions. They had a lesser artifact table specifically for Trial of Champions. Mm-hmm. That's been replaced by these four separate tables. So there Correct. was an update to the lesser artifacts. These are, I think, cooler and more thematic and just more of them. So they, they're more related to kind of your war bands mythological orientation as it relates to the grand alliances yeah that's a good point so uh but i think we we all we picked uh two favorites each one from each table and who who starts josh who who, who do you want to kick us off kick it off with chaos all right chaos i picked weeping doom stars and i'm going to read uh their flavor text these fine bladed throwing weapons favored by the clan the clan's eshin deathmasters can slice through armor and deliver their toxic payload into the target's bloodstream with a simple flick. So these are ninja throwing stars used by Ratmen. Um, so very, uh, very cool. Um, and what you do is they're consumable. So you get that bonus action. You pick an enemy fighter within nine, and on a three up, you get you get to do die six damage points to them. So you got to land land the star attack, uh, but then you get to, you hit him with that poison. So I think throwing stars are cool. I'm glad throwing stars are a consumable artifact. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, the the one for order I had to pick because you know we'd gotten the the new Bugmanson model and it's Bugmans, but three sixes. One, two, three, four, five, six, six X's. Yeah, three X, six, 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 and it's also a consumable, as you might expect. It says, brewed by the legendary Bugman family, this cask of ale possesses incredible fortifying properties. And it does indeed. The bearer can use this lesser artifact as a bonus action, because it's a consumable. If they do so, you can remove 2d6 damage points allocated to them. Then, the bearer can make a bonus move action or a bonus attack action. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. You know, you can heal and then go in for another attack or another move. That's some yeah. good stuff. <laughs> That's very strong. Yeah. A heal and then a bonus attack. Oh, uh, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's, um, that's quite you a brew. Need, you, um, you need to roll uh, 63, but, but yeah, that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. All the, all the 60s get their own individual item. Right. Because they're um, all a little flavorful. Yeah. Excellent. So what, uh, what did you have for destruction? For destruction, uh, you should note that destruction can also drink the the bugmen. They can also awesome. have access to beer. Um, <laughs> uh, so it works the same, same for them. I uh, well, I want to shout out the bad loon boss fungus because it's because it's crazy good uh, for the sixty six. It's that you get crits on a five up, which is uh, feels incredibly strong. Uh, but that's not the one I actually want to talk about. I want to talk about the icon of the evil sun. And this leering icon fills many worries of destruction with either with awe or superstitious unease. And it spurs them to battle unveiled. And so what it does is it gives you plus two to your move characteristic unless a twist card with either climate or magical phenomenon are in play. Uh, so it's pretty much plus two move on a sunny day for destruction. <laughs> but I think it's like a really cool artifact. And I really kind of like it that it interacts with the environmental twists. Yeah, you gotta be able to um, in a way that sun, you don't know right. see. So it's like you know, if yeah, if the sun's out, uh, your your guns are out, uh, and I guess if your guns are your plus two move. So yeah, that's one I picked. That's cool. That's very cool. The one for death that I picked is the uh, Fainway Crystal. 
It's a relic of distant shade spire and perhaps other such cursed places besides. These crystals can be drained of power in order to swiftly translocate the bearer. And I thought this was super cool because it's like one of those teleportation items that we don't have very many of those. But the bearer can use it as a consumable. And if they do, they are removed from the battlefield and they can be set up anywhere on the battlefield, at least five inches away from enemy fighters. So I can see this being a huge winning factor in some particular missions. You know, where you're like, oh, I'm out of here and I'm anywhere I want to be on this table. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, that's awesome. Teleportation one. Yeah, I, I like this one. I like to call it the Shade Spire. I also really like that it's anywhere in the battlefield more than five inches from enemy fighters. Because mm. otherwise, it's like a super powerful, aggressive item, which yes. I don't think is as narrative. But like, you just put it on your toughest fighter, they teleport right on top of your opponent and just like go to town. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but well, this yeah, makes but... it more sneaky and more kind of as an escape or a, a tactical yeah. move. Exactly, you know, and especially, you know, since some of the Legion or Nagash are slow, this is a great way to get around, or or mm-hmm. if you had a quad, you could use this first, teleport somewhere, and then use your bonus move and attack with a rampage, you know, yeah, all sorts of good possibilities. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, a lot of really interesting artifacts, and I like that it's all flavored, you know. So, with uh, with that, we'll just kind of touch on a few things in match play. Uh, as you probably know, we haven't played a whole lot of match play games, but uh, they're the most defining aspect of these is they tend to be more balanced deployment and uh, rule sets, just uh, so, so they tended to be used for tournaments and that sort of thing. Uh, this particular book adds six new pitch battle plans to supplement the core book and Toma Champions 2019, so... Between all three of them, you get 18 different pitch battle plans for match play games. Um, and in particular, they, they do call out that in this uh, book, I think it's about half or, or no, it's, it's about uh, five out of six of them have fixed objectives. So going into the game, you know exactly where the objectives are going to be. And uh, they, they're hoping that it'll encourage you to have a more balanced deployment in terms of your dagger, hammer, shield and, and how you play the games. Um, uh, just like other um, tournament-based match play games, there are some additional hidden agendas here. These are supposed to replace those in the core book. I haven't gone in detail to just define whether you know they're changed, improved, or not. But this is one of the few examples where it replaces what's in the core book. And then uh, just a call out for escalation tournaments, where you kind of, over the course of, I think, three or four games during the day, you slowly escalate the, the number of points you have. They added some tables where during the escalation tournament, you can now gain artifacts of power, command traits, and lesser artifacts. So they added a little bit more of a narrative element to this match play system, which I thought was a great idea. I'm really interested to see how people incorporate that. Do you have anything else you wanted to add regarding the match play section? No, I mean, I think I I like the things I'm saying in here. Yeah, I think it could be fun to, you know, on our, our list of things that could be fun to run in a day, maybe yeah. a like casual match play tournament would be cool just to do for a day. Yeah, yeah especially yeah. if it's the escalating one. I think it'd be fun if kind of interesting. It would be more of a storytelling yeah. aspect where you slowly, your warband is changing over time throughout the day. Yeah, and you if you only do three rounds, you can do it in like half a day. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, in the, in the last portion of the book, uh, they just have a couple tables of the roaming beasts, you know, the wild cave creatures and restless undead, which they did have in, in the 2019. 
they've just reprinted that here for your reference and um, and, and use. And they also incorporated the open play terrain setups, the, the different options, the architect of fates, uh, terrain generator, or creating your own terrain deck option. So again, those are just kind of reprinted from Toma Champions 2019, which to reiterate what Paven said before, you don't really need 2019. If you get this one, it's got everything in there and more. Again, 2019 does have some additional pitch battle plans, faded quests, and other really cool stuff in it. But in terms of important rule sets, the 2020 will get you covered. Any other thoughts on the book in general before we hop into listener questions? No. No, no, I know. It's, it's a great book. Highly recommend you get this book. As we talked about in our last episode, if, if nothing else, get this book and your Grand Alliance book and you'll be set, you know, the core rule book and you'll be set for most of what you need. A lot of really good additions in this book. Yeah. And yeah, I, I would say you don't, if you're brand new, you don't have to get this book. Like, right. you, like core book and your Grand Alliance book are higher on the priority list. But I would still make sure that you are figuring out a way to use the new glory system and like, you know, you know about the new rules in here, like those updates, because there's such quality of life improvements for how yep. the game plays. Yeah. Exactly. Incorporate them. And hopefully, you know, when they release the uh, errata or fact, they'll kind of include that in that document, too. So you'll have access to it. Mm -hmm. Great. All right. Well, we don't have a whole lot of listener questions this time because I was delinquent in requesting questions. So hopefully we'll have more next time. But we do have some interesting ones here that we'll cover. The first couple we have are from PJ Shard, who's a Mortal Realms colleague of ours. And his first question is, how do you feel the narrative battles add to a narrative game? What do you think, Paven? Um, I, interesting. So, like, Warcry is a narrative game. Yes. And so I, I think that, I, I don't think they blow open, like, the narrative of Warcry. I think Warcry has a lot of tools they give access to. They give you a lot of, um, like, evolving an emergent narrative especially around the randomly generating scenarios and the campaigns and your your own warband and like kind of the tables you can or, or, or roll on or don't or can optionally roll on um so war is already a very narrative game i think the narrative scenarios specifically the six narrative battles are cool to play as like one-off games against an opponent that are going to be more curated than the traditional sphere, but they're actually like kind of maybe some of the least narrative thing in the book and in Warcry in general. Because mm -hmm. um, like the challenge battles have much more stronger themes and visuals that they like give give you and are more yeah. like imagination sparking. Um, I think the narrative battles are cool and fun, and I'm excited to try them. But I, you know, I don't think they're particularly like narrative especially relative to like everything else in this book like the solo four campaign which we haven't even talked about the challenge battles the faded quests all these are much more kind of rich in the narrative they tell yeah i agree with you and i, I think the the unique element is their battle plan specific ability and I, so i think that's a nice little narrative twist to those particular battles uh, that we don't have in other settings you know obviously the challenge battles you know, we have a set of rules that are unique to that challenge battle. So I, I think that's, that's a nice, uh, addition and, and it's certainly, um, 
sparks the imagination for if you're running a unique scenario or a unique event, as we have done, then you can you can create little unique rules or abilities to be used for that particular scenario. So again, I think it kind of enables people to think about that a little bit more. And yeah, um, uh, go ahead. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I would just say like the way I'm thinking about the narrative battles is like. When, instead of playing like a regular Warcry game that nobody's on their convergence, we just want to get a game. Like instead of drawing cards out of the deck, like roll on the table. Let's play one of these. Yeah. Because um, like it, they're still like is easy to play. You just like put out all your terrain, you know, um, and it tells you kind of how to generate the scenario and stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of a, a a different way of play. Another cool way of play. I think it's probably a little bit more tight than um, than drawing cards out of the deck. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm repeating myself now. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah, oh, definitely. Paul's other question, of course, is uh, how does the change to consumables affect the game? I know, I know we've talked a little bit about it, but do you have any additional thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I, you're skept- yeah you have a, there's a longer question written down here, which I think is like, not interpreting the rules correctly. I don't know if it's worth uh, getting into that. Um, but I think changing consumables is just a really nice quality of life thing. It takes it took a bunch of artifacts that were sometimes worthless and making them fun and, and cool to use. And I think they were specifically, they mentioned in the book, they're trying to make the power differential between perishable items, which are always on artifacts, and the consumables more even. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you don't have to take the full turn to like drink your potion. You can just swig it as the bonus action and then just keep on your day. Yeah, um, I, which is I think it, it feels so right. So I'm really, I'm really glad. I don't think it's like blows the game wide open, but like you know, there was getting to the point where there were some artifacts I wouldn't even write on my sheet because I was like, I'm never going to use this. Yeah, uh, and exactly. like that's a that's a feel bad moment in a campaign when you're rolling on your on your artifacts table and then you look up what it does and you're like, this is this is nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I think I think it just makes the game more enjoyable, and every treasure is useful, which is yeah. which is perfect. That's the way it yeah. should be. And uh, sorry, just to tackle uh, Paul's question a little bit, the bonus action you get from using the artifact is just so you get the effect of the artifact. It doesn't give you like an extra move or an extra attack. Um, this bonus action is kind of like outside of everything. Yep. It's it all it means is that you get it for free, and it doesn't yes. really change how anything else works. Right. I mean, you could take two actions and then use it or use it then an action or whatever else. But yeah, you don't really get a third action per se. Yeah. So if you waited twice, your turn would be theoretically done. Yeah. Wait, like, waiting gets you nothing in this yeah, area. Right. All right. And uh, two questions from Severe Elon. Uh, the first question, uh, is there anything rules wise that's in here? that's also new in the Grand Alliance books. And I think uh, the main thing is uh, the update to Rune Marks, you know, what Rune Marks belong in what Grand Alliance, what factions. Um, and otherwise, there's integrations, like obviously the lesser artifact tables are all Alliance-specific, so they are definitely intended to be integrated and used together. Um, other than that, I can't think of anything else. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, they were written, they feel like they're part of the same release. There isn't anything like conflicting between them. Um, I think they complement each other well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think again, good. yeah, intended to be integrated, but otherwise there's nothing specifically different. Uh, the second question, 
how does it mesh with coming out at the same time as those? Is the expectation to have both, or are you sit good sitting anything out? Sorry, I guess I kind of answered that too. So, uh, yeah, no, I yeah. would definitely recommend having both. Um, you, you probably want the Grand Alliance books anyway for the additional options that you get and the new abilities, you know, for, for your particular models in each faction subset. And, uh, yeah. and then this again integrates perfectly with that. Yeah, I think uh, to update my buying guide, which I might have mentioned before, is like the order in which you should uh, get books is the core rule book uh, and then the Grand Alliance book for the faction you want to play. And that's kind of, I would say, the minimum. You can probably get away with just having the cards uh, for some war bands uh, if, mm-hmm. if you really want to get to a minimum. Um, but I really think that Grand Alliance book is really great. And then I would pick up this book. Um, because it is, uh, it's got so many good things in it, but I would, even if you don't pick it up, which I think is okay, then you want to get, I don't know if they, they published the, the rules updates, which is really like three boxes, uh, yeah. it's like not even a full page of rules updates, but those rules updates will just make your games better. So I would make sure to play with those because those, yep. um, and then everything else is just like, you know, gravy on top. And I think, um, uh, yeah, definitely. Like I recommend all these books. But that's my kind of buying order currently. Yeah. yeah Maybe we should uh, we should create a new PDF document, which is like our buying order for our recommended buy buying order. Yeah, a little, little purchase yeah. chart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> Not yeah. a bad idea. Not a bad idea. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, we hope that you found some of this information useful. There's lots of exciting content uh, that we're eager to try out. And uh, we're even more excited to talk a bit more about the Sorth Core campaign in our next episode. So, uh, do you have any other, anything else you wanted to say, Peyton? I don't. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, let's put a muzzle on this bad boy. All right. Excellent. And um, hopefully on uh, Wednesday, Pavin will get out his uh, narrative sheet and his little <laughs> battle. I'll help. i my Google Doc with like five. <laughs> it is pretty cool, and I thought it was a great way to share uh, a battle, uh, that you know, a solo battle. Yeah, I haven't seen much of that put together yet, so it was really cool. All right. And uh, please, you know, if you have time, join us on themortalrealms.com backslash Discord and participate in our discussions in Warcry. We'll talk to you next time. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good, good dog, support the show with a positive review on iTunes, sharing it with friends, joining us for hobby discussions at themortalrealms.com forward slash discord, or leave a tip at themortalrealms.com forward slash Patreon. More content is available at themortalrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Warcry.